Hi, my name is Andy Chamberlain, and this is the Creative Writer's Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you advice and insight that you can apply straight away to your own writing. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you'll also find information about the Creative Writer's Tool Belt handbook, which condenses all of the very best advice and insight from my expert guests and me in one place. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Creative Writer's Tool Belt and that it's helpful to you on your writing journey. And welcome to episode 115 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. In news for this episode, as some of you know, I will be at EasterCon, which is the British Science Fiction Association's annual convention. And this year, 2018, that will run from March 30th to April 2nd. And I am going to be speaking on two panels at the convention, one on how to finish your novel and another, which I'll be moderating, which will be looking at different ways in which creatives can fundraise for their projects. So I'm looking forward to being at a conference I'm looking forward to being on both of those panels. If you're a listener to the podcast and you're going to be at EasterCon, do come and find me and say hello. I'm also preparing for the Novel Ideas Conference that I'm speaking at in July with my friend Wendy H. Jones. And that conference will be in Dundee in Scotland on Saturday, July the 28th. We're going to be looking at how to structure a novel, writing the killer first line, showing not telling, and giving you all kinds of tools and practical tips to improve the narrative of your work. There'll be teaching and workshops. It's going to be quite an intense day, but it's going to be great fun. And we're going to give you loads of resources to really get you fired up for writing that novel that you're working on, or the one that you've been meaning to start for a long time. Now the standard price for that day conference is £40 but as a listener to and supporter of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast you can come along for just £30 by using the discount code which I'm going to give you a moment when you book your ticket and that price will include lunch and refreshments. So do come along, come and tell me about your writing project, come and tell me what you're working on and what you're struggling with. I'd like to meet you. And if you're interested in coming, just go to my website. It's andrewjchamberlain.com and follow the link there to the conference booking page and use the special discount code to get yourself 25% off. And that code is E2 W-N-I. That's the letter E, the number two, and the letters W-N-I. And that's the Novel Ideas Conference on Saturday the 28th of July in Dundee in Scotland. Final piece of news, I am delighted to announce that I'm going to be starting a new Creative Writers Toolbelt initiative very soon, and that's the Creative Writers Toolbelt video channel. I'm really pleased about this project, which I've been planning for some months now, and I will give you more details when I can. But essentially what I want to do is to take the principles of this podcast, which is to give you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing and to apply them to some very short videos on YouTube. My intention here is to make them fun and practical and to the point. So as I said, when I've got a bit more news on that, I'll let you know. Hopefully I'll get that started in the next month or so. So back to this episode 115 and today we're going to be looking at a particular kind of story ending which is often referred to by its Latin name Deus Ex Machina. So I'm going to be explaining with a number of examples what Deus Ex Machina means. Then I'm going to be talking about why we need to avoid these kind of endings in our work and I'm going to be giving you a couple of tips on how you can create a much more satisfying end to your story. So let's start with a little bit of an introduction and some context. And I want to start with an example. Here is a final scene from a very short and not particularly good story that I've created specifically for this episode. The action here picks up as our hero, the prince, pursues the wicked magician who has just kidnapped his beloved. 
Pursuing the kidnapped maiden, the prince arrives at the gates of the old castle. Rain lashed down onto the cobblestones, making his noble mare skittish and uneasy. Dismounting the horse, the prince stepped boldly forward and pulled on the old iron gates. They opened with a mournful whine, and stepping through, he stared into the soaking gloom beyond. Suddenly, a bolt of lightning illuminated all around him, and in this fragment of light, he was able to see his beloved tied to a stake in the ground in front of the castle, the evil magician prowling around in front of her. By her side, an other stake stood empty. Back from her, you devil, shouted the prince, brandishing his sword. The magician spun and regarded him. After a moment, the magician let out his cruel laugh. Ha! You should not have given up the element of surprise, prince, he said. I did not hear you coming, but now I have you. The prince ran towards the magician, brandishing his mighty sword, but as he did so, the magician flicked his wand, and the prince fell to the ground, unconscious, the sword clattering down next to him. No, cried the damsel. Ha, said the magician. What a fool. He can't save you now, my dear. No one can. The prince awoke some time later, feeling groggy, the rain still falling onto his sore head. His hands were bound tightly and he opened his eyes and saw that he was now tied to the stake next to his beloved. They were both captured and helpless. Now I will deal with both of you, said the evil magician. The prince tugged at his bonds, but they held fast. Grinning his devilish smile, the magician raised his wand. The maiden screamed. And at that moment, the turbulent skies parted and the great god Zeus stared down from his chariot amongst the stars. And roaring his displeasure, he threw three thunderbolts towards the earth. One struck the mage and killed him instantly. And the other two struck the bonds holding the prince and princess and they were freed. The prince and the maid held each other tightly. Oh, said the prince, we were so helpless and yet now we have been saved by the gods. The end. Now that story feels like it has quite an unsatisfactory ending. It feels wrong. It feels like a letdown because as the story approaches its climax, we ask ourselves, how will this be resolved? But here's the thing, as listeners, we're also asking ourselves a deeper subconscious question. And it's this, how will this be resolved in a way that seems authentic and believable in the context of the story? When you look at what's happening here, you see that our protagonists have not used their strength or their wit, or their skills to save themselves. The prince doesn't produce a tiny blade from his sleeve with which he cuts the bonds that hold him. The maid doesn't manage to slip her hands from the bonds that hold her in the rain and then attack the magician with a hair clip. The prince doesn't use his brute strength to lift the stake that he is tied to out of the ground and swing it at the magician. All of these outcomes, although they are far-fetched and ridiculous, would have been a bit more satisfactory simply because they all have the merit of requiring some kind of input from the protagonists, some kind of effort, some kind of cashing in on the skills and abilities that they have. They all would have drawn on the context in which the story is set. But instead, we have an ending in which one of the gods, rather improbably, just turns up and saves them. There's no rationale. There's no reason given for why this should be. And therefore, as readers or listeners, we find this kind of resolution to the story quite unsatisfying. Now, this type of ending, where something completely out of context and miraculous happens, is not new. In fact, it draws on a very old tradition that goes back to the ancient Greek theatre from 500 to 600 years BC. In ancient Greece, when tragic tales were performed on the stage, a seemingly insoluble problem would be presented which leaves the protagonists helpless and in desperate trouble. This seemingly insoluble problem would then be resolved, not through any initiative of the characters themselves, but through the intervention of the gods or some other supernatural force. In the theatres of ancient Greece, actors playing the part of the gods would be raised through a trapdoor to the stage area or lowered 
by Crane in a box, known as a machine, to the stage where they would do their miraculous thing and save the day. And so the god would literally come out of the machine to resolve everything and provide an ending, hence the term Deus ex machina, which is a Latin phrase derived from the original Greek and which means God out of the machine. Now, this tradition of the ancient theatre has a rich and noble heritage, and it was accepted at the time as part of the convention of the performance. And it's a convention that has been used on and off many times since then in theatre, in film and in literature. And variations of it still appear today. So arguably the god comes out of the machine in William Golding's classic novel, The Lord of the Flies, when the children who have been stranded on an island and become savage are rescued by a naval officer. J.R.R. Tolkien himself was aware of this issue and its problems and called the great eagles in his own books a dangerous machine. And famously, Tolkien curtailed the influence of his gods, his eagles, by, for example, not letting them act as the means by which the Fellowship of the Ring could entirely get to fly club class all the way to Mordor. Those guys had to do it the hard way. But of course, the deus ex machina device in theatre and literature has attracted its critics, even from the time of its origins. So, for example, Aristotle criticised the device and argued that the resolution of a plot should come from within a play and be internally consistent with it, rather than just be an external act of the gods. In his work Poetics, he says this, It is obvious that the solutions of plots should come about as a result of the plot itself and not from a contrivance. Now, whilst Deus Ex Machina might have a place in the theatre where spectacle and tradition have a long heritage, I would argue that it's a very bad way of resolving a story in literature. And the main reason for that is that because such an ending is not authentic, it doesn't ring true. And as I mentioned earlier, when the reader asks themselves, as they do, how will this be resolved? What they are really asking is, how will this be resolved, this story, this problem, in a way that seems authentic and believable in the context of the story? And a deus ex machina ending does not provide for that fundamental need to the reader. These kind of endings have no internal consistency. And like a story with no internal consistency, they become untrustworthy and boring. In the same way, characters who do not have some internal consistency also become untrustworthy and boring. Now, if we look at what happens to a reader when we present them with an unreliable, unsatisfactory ending like this, what we see is that they actually come out of the story as they think about the ending and why it didn't work for them. Our lame conclusion has meant that we've lost the reader, even if it's for a moment and perhaps it's permanently, just at that critical moment when they should be engaged, just when the climax of the whole tale is presented, the reader steps out of the story and starts to think about its validity and the quality of it. So the deus ex machina ending is likely to leave the reader both bored and stepping out of the story. And in that sense, it's a disaster for us as writers and we need to avoid it. So what can we do to avoid these kinds of endings? And what should we do to provide a much more satisfactory ending to our readers? Well, in theory, the answer to this problem is quite simple. And even in practice, with a little bit of thought and work, we can come up with something that's much better in terms of endings than lowering some god in a box into our story. So let's start with a theoretical answer. Well, this was provided for us by Aristotle two and a half thousand years ago when he said that the answer has to come from within the story, not out of a machine. And it needs to be the kind of solution that is not immediately guessable, but which, with hindsight, is quite reasonable. And Aristotle made exactly this point 
again in Poetics, when he said this, a good plot has a beginning which connects to a middle, which connects to an end. The elements of a plot should all tie together, and the best plots contain elements that might surprise the reader initially, but which, on reflection, will seem inevitable and understandable. Well said, Aristotle. And I would adapt this comment slightly by emphasising that the solution needs to come from all aspects of the story, the setting, the plot development, and the characters. To create these kinds of satisfying endings, we need to prepare for them from the beginning of the story. We need to seed into the story those elements that will be required for us to present a credible ending. This kind of approach needs to be done subtly as we drop into the story little features of the storyline and character that will form the groundwork, the investment for that satisfying ending. And we can see examples of this in film and literature. So for example, in the first Star Wars film, during a scene discussing the difficulty of firing a torpedo into the exhaust port of the Death Star, a gap two metres wide, we hear Luke Skywalker in a simple one-liner saying this. I used to bullseye want rats in my T-16 back home. They're not much bigger than two metres. Now that line only takes two or three seconds to deliver, but it's an investment in the credibility of the end of the story when Luke does in fact successfully make that shot. In the Hunger Games series, the author is at pains to show us how the new President Queen is as bad, if not worse, as the old President Snow, the villain she's been trying to oust. The estrangement between Coin and the protagonist Katniss is driven home by the revelation that President Coin ordered a bomb drop that killed Katniss's sister Prim. All of this allows us to believe in and even support Katniss's decision to kill President Coin towards the end of the book, despite the fact that this is an act of murder. In The Lord of the Rings, the trauma of the journey to Mordor and all of the associated trials together with the consistently presented psychological pressure of carrying the ring means that we can completely believe the final scene where Frodo can't bring himself to destroy the ring. The author has invested in this moment throughout the whole book and that pays off where we see something which we think is completely reasonable. And furthermore, staying with the Lord of the Rings, we can understand as well why Gollum is motivated to follow the hobbits and the ring all the way to Mordor to attack Frodo at the cracks of Mount Doom and through the fight with Sam and Frodo to be the unwitting agent who destroys the ring as he falls into the lava. This dramatic scene in the Lord of the Rings at Mount Doom is a fantastic example of an ending that is almost like the opposite of Deus Ex Machina, as all of the author's investment in the storyline and the characters over the whole of the Lord of the Rings sequence comes to fruition in a satisfying and credible ending. As a final example, we can see how Daphne du Maurier builds up the spiteful paranoia of her character Mrs Danvers in her 1939 classic novel Rebecca and makes it more than believable that Danvers is the culprit behind the burning down of the house that gives the book its name. So let's review what we've covered in this episode. There are plenty of good reasons for us to avoid a deus ex machina ending to our work. Indeed, we should avoid anything that looks like deus ex machina throughout the whole story. Instead, we should be aiming to provide a satisfying ending by investing in the credibility of that ending throughout the story. We can do this by first devising the kind of ending that we want to present and then by seeding in across the whole story arc small details that will provide and invest in the satisfying and credible ending that we want. So that's it for this episode. Today I have referenced or quoted from the following sources. Aristotle's Poetics, The Lord of the Flies by William Golding, 
published by Penguin Books, The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, published by Mariner Books, Star Wars A New Hope, directed by George Lucas, The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins, published by Scholastic, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, published by William Morrow. And I am also indebted to Wikipedia, who have provided a very useful and helpful entry on the subject of Deus Ex Machina endings. So remember, keep the god in the machine and don't let him out. Instead, satisfy your reader with a credible and authentic ending that has the benefit of investment across the whole arc of the story and all of the characters and all of the setting, so that when you present it at the end, the reader does not disengage, is not bored, and really enjoys what you've presented to them. So that's it for now. Thank you again for listening, and goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or me, just go to my website. It's andrewjchamberlain.com.